Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I preview day seven of the 2024 Australian Open, our second day of round three play in both the men's and women's singles draws. Of course, these are the halves of the draws that produced one of the most chaotic days I can remember at a major in the last half decade. Day five, producing countless five-set thrillers on the men's side. You had Iga Sviantek, of course, overcome her 4-1 double break, third set deficit against Danielle Collins. You saw top seeds Jessica Pagula, Elena Rabakina eliminated from the event. Again, it was just one of those days every so often the tennis gods decide to bless us with. And of course, I recapped every minute of it over on the Mini Break podcast feed. We actually have two Day 5-centric episodes, one emergency episode talking Sviantek, Rude Zverev, one longer-form episode breaking down everything else that unfolded on that dramatic Day 5. So if you have missed out on anything that's unfolded, through the first five, six days of this Australian Open now. Just know you can catch up on it all over on the Mini Break podcast feed where we will continue to have recaps for all of you listeners day in, day out throughout the course of this year's first major. That, of course, includes tomorrow. Even though we have a couple of our first broadcasts of the 2024 college tennis season on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, that's a lie. It's not on YouTube. We've been upgraded to ESPN Plus or the Watch ESPN. ESPN platform. So for all of you fans watching this Australian Open on ESPN already, you can use that same account to follow our matches tomorrow. We've got a top five Division I women's college tennis showdown, Oklahoma State taking on Michigan. We also have the Oklahoma State men taking on perennial top 25 team, Middle Tennessee. Two fantastic battles to kick off our expansive coverage of the season. And the best part, again, it's on the same platform that all of you here in the United States at least are already watching this Australian Open on. So come join us. That action starts 4 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow with the men's match, the women's match shortly following that. Fantastic tennis to lead you into, of course, to the start of day seven of this 2024 Australian Open. And with that in mind, again, I want to run you through all the singles matches we have on day seven's schedule. We've got 16 battles across across the board as I did yesterday. I want to offer you my thoughts on all eight of the men's and women's singles matches we have on the day. A prediction for each match, a breakdown, of course, of my must-watch matches of the day, and a friendly reminder if you miss out on any of this Australian Open coverage, any of this Australian Open action, probably the better way to frame that. You can catch up with really good highlights available on the Australian Open YouTube channel, both three eight-minute highlight 
uh, eight-minute highlight packages. Excuse me, let's try that sentence again. Leave it in, Westoff. Both three- and eight-minute highlight packages available for all of you tennis fans in case there is a match you want to go back and check out. Certainly, I think the match is in my must-watch category. At the very least, go watch the eight-minute highlight packages from these matches because these are the sorts of battles that we yearn for each and every week as tennis fans and certainly feels like we're going to get a bunch of them to enjoy over the course of the next 10 plus days in Melbourne. So again, we want to preview day seven here, make it a little bit easier so you know which matches you need to check out, whether it's watching them live or, of course, whether it's going back to check out the highlights. That is always the intention of these shows. Recaps over on the Mini Break podcast feed, wherever you listen to your podcast. They're also now available in video form on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Our first YouTube edition of the Mini Break now up for certain on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. I've seen it. I've clicked on it. You can as well. Make sure you go subscribe to that. YouTube channel. That said, enough with the plugs. Let's talk day seven of this 2024 Australian Open. And this is going to be a day where for the first time, I'm going to start with the men's matches. The reason being, I think you could make a case for all eight sincerely to be in the must-watch category. That's how good the action is across the board. And that, of course, is the benefit of having 23 of our 32 seeds still alive, right? As we approached round three of this event, the bottom half of the men's draw competing uh, on day number seven. Let's start with the must-watch category. I've got three in the section that I want to break down with even further depth. Let's start with must-watch match number one. It's going to be power tennis-centric, and yet these are two guys, Hubi Hercats, your number nine seed, Ugo Umber, your number 21 seed, each holding seed on their way here to round number three. These are two guys who, of course, are known best for the power tennis they are capable of playing. And you look at the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard right now, uh, their hold percentage is very much reflective of the success they have when they are playing plus one first strike aggressive front foot tennis. You look for Hubi Hercats. Not surprisingly, his hold percentage, 88.9%. That's actually number one over the last 52 weeks of play now. If you go by the last 52 weeks, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, their particular success at last year's Australian Open, that result has been filtered out now. But that speaks to how good Hubi's been over these last 52 weeks, how confident you can be in the plus one tennis that he is capable of playing. And obviously, you look for Hubi, three-set win over Omar Jessica in round number one. He survives a five-set battle on day number five against talented 18-year-old Jakob Menchik, who, of course, much like Ugo Umber, has serious weapons that he could use to pressure Hercots with and is able to get into his plus-one playbook regardless, really, of what Hercots is doing. Obviously, Ugo Umber can do something similar there. You look, uh, nice little rhyme, Alex, you look for Hubi Hercots in his career against left-handed players uh, at the tour level. I'm going to filter out for everything but hardcore uh, filter out everything but hardcore specific matches in his career against lefties. Hubi Hercots is 33 and 11. That's not particularly surprising. You want to filter it out for his career record against lefties on hard courts at the ATP tour level. 
He's 22-5 and five against lefties. He's won his last three battles of, against lefties, including Omar Jessica, including, by the way, a battle against Ugo Umber in Basel at the end of last season. And for what it's worth, Hercott's 2-0 in the career head-to-head against Umber. Beat him in Halle back in 2022 on the grass courts. Beat him indoors on hard courts in Basel last year. For what it's worth, that was a 7-6 third set victory for Ehubi Hercott, who, of course, ended his season last year with a post-U.S. Open Masters title. But again, a lot of good stats pointing his way. 2-0 in the career head-to-head, 22-5 overall in his career in tour-level matches on hard courts against lefties. He's competing in his seventh uh, round of 32 of his career. Umber competing in just his fourth round of 32 in his career. Ugo Umber for his career, 5-10 against top 10 opponents. And for what it's worth, he has never beaten a top 10 opponent at a major event. You look for him in his career on hard courts. Uh, against top 20 opponents at the majors, not top 10, top 20, 0-2 in his career against the top 20 uh, at the majors on hard courts, just 1-7 in in his career against top 50 opponents at hard court major events. So, you know, again, while while Hercott, uh, excuse me, while Umber has been exceptional, 50 and 23 success across the challenger level, ATP tour level, and building his resume back up into the top 25 player he is entering this Australian Open. And the lefty has serious weapons. We saw those weapons on display uh, throughout the course of his run here in Australia as he's earned victories over both David Goffin, Zhang Zhizhen in four sets. Umber thus far broken twice uh, in each match. He's played four sets per match. That means, again, he's getting broken less than once per set. That's what the lefty's known most for. Again, his ability, even when he's standing by the alley on that ad side, to hit the slice serve wide and then the plus one forehand either to the open court or to hit it behind you back cross court. The lefty does a lot of things to make people uncomfortable. I would also say the 25-year-old sneaky quick. Like, you don't think about... His speed and his ability defensively, because he is so often asserting himself on his front foot, taking these big cuts whenever he's on the baseline within the course of a rally. And yet his speed enables him to take those big cuts from 6 to 12 feet behind the baseline. He'll track that ball down you don't expect, and then because he does make such beautiful contact with the ball, can generate such power, he'll drive one by you. Like He can make the impossible happen with his on-the-run pass Again, the thing is, though, lefties match up particularly well with Hoopy Hercots. Like, that slice serve wide on the ad side to the Hercots backhand. Hercots is both tall enough, long enough, quick enough, and good enough on that backhand wing to, I don't want to say take that serve away from Umber completely, because when he carves it that well, you're just so far outside the alley that he's going to have success with, success with his plus one forehand, particularly a plus one forehand that will now have all of the court in the world and space to work with to attack that Hoopy Hercots on the run forehand, which is, of course, Hercots' biggest liability. And when the spraying comes... Again, I know the numbers are against her, uh, Umber. I mentioned it. He's 1-7 in, in his career against the top 50 at the majors in hard court events versus an Ugo uh, versus a Hubi Hercots, 22-5 in his career against lefties in ATP 2 or hard court matches. According to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, Hubi Hercots only a 56.9% favorite. That feels accurate to me because Ugo Umber, yes, a little bit banged up. He's got that knee wrapped. But man, he has played some exceptional ball of late, and he has real weapons to make Hercots uncomfortable. And yes, that Hercots backhand is well-suited, and he's 2-0 in the career head-to-head to absorb the lefty pace into that wing, which is so often where lefties find they have a competitive advantage. 
Hurkacz is a player who can, to some extent, take that away from you. But again, all right, fine. Slice serve wide. You may hit a decent return. That first forehand's going to the open court. And Hubi is going to be forced to hit the on-the-run forehand. Her, uh, Umber going to be able to open up that ball, particularly with pace, with depth, pinning that Hercot, uh, pinning Hercots in that backhand corner, and then just opening up a forehand lane to attack for himself very clearly. He'll have some serious weapons to keep pace with Hercots, as again, Hercots number one in hold percentage. He's going to rack up the holds throughout the course of any match. There's going to be at least one set that goes to a breaker in this one. Hercots has played really well of late, dare I say the best tennis of his career. I'll take Hubi to win in a tight four-set match, but that's the key word there, a tight four-set match. That one could very well go the distance. And Ugo Umber could very well end up on the winning side in advance to his second career, second week at a major. I'm going to take Hubi in a tight four, but that's probably my must-watch match number one on the men's side on day seven. Again, ninth-seeded Hubi Hercots taking on 21st-seeded Ugo Umber, the 26-year-old Hercots, 56.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Match number two on my must-watch list. Oh, by the way, here was a stat I missed it. Ugo Umber in his career at the ATP Tour level on hard court six and four uh excuse me six and four let's try that again again leave it in west off i'm recording these podcasts late at night and i haven't gotten as much sleep as i should have here in week one of the australian open that's going to change tonight as i'm preparing for a broadcast thus there was no nap today to prepare for the night session or day session in australia and thus i'm loopy a bit in my words. I apologize for that fact. Anyways, last Ugo Umberstad in his career in ATP tour level hard court matches against opponents over six foot four, with Hubi Hercots obviously is, which he obviously is. Ugo Umber eight and eleven in his career. So again, if you have some weapons you can pressure Ugo Umber with, because again, that forehand grip is a little bit extreme. The backhand is a little bit risky. That's when the errors can begin to compile for Ugo Umber, who's solution to every problem is to hit through it. Although again, he has gotten a little bit more grindy, a little, uh, certainly again, continues to improve his quickness in and out of the outer thirds of the court. I'll take Hercots to win in four sets. Um, match number two of the day is a one-sided battle thus far in the career head to set head of third seeded Daniil Medvedev and 27th seeded Felix Ogier Aliassim, the 27-year-old Russian, 6-0 in the career head to head, as a matter of fact, against FAA and perhaps making matters even worse for Felix. All six of those matches to date, they have all come on hard courts. Of course, Medvedev most notably, a come from behind two sets to love victory over FAA in the 2022 Australian Open quarterfinals. You look at the pathway for Medvedev. Obviously, part of the reason you have to have this match on the list is how fit will Daniil Medvedev be? How present will he be Medved uh, mentally? How much will he have left in the tank after playing past 3.30 a.m. on day number five, coming back from two sets to love down to beat Emil Rusevori? My question for him uh, in this match is not a physical question because Daniil Medvedev is as fit as a player as we have on the ATP Tour. I have no doubt his body will be able to bounce back from a physical standpoint, but mentally... Will he be able to almost shift time zones after staying up that late, having to overcome such a deficit? Will he be able to recalculate, regain his focus? I'm sure this will be a later match in the day. They're going to give Medvedev as much rest as possible. But 
Look, when you're staring down the gauntlet of the serve forehand plus one combination of Felix Ogier Aliasim, you need to be mentally present. You need to remain locked in, remain focused. You can't start let Fel- uh, you can't allow Felix to start racking up freebies because if he gets confidence behind that serve forehand, he's going to hit it with success no matter what. That said, Medvedev again, 6-0 in the career head-to-head. I mentioned that five-set battle they played in Australia. Those two sets he lost, those first two sets, those are two of just three sets he's lost uh, to Felix Ogier Aliasim in his career six head-to-head matchups. And again, of their last 13 sets played, he's won 10 of the last 13. He's won 12 of the 15 sets they've played total. I think that math adds up. No, how could it add up? He's won 13 of the 16 sets. There we go. That he's played total. For Medvedev, he's competing in his 18th third round of his career at the majors. For what it's worth, when he's played guys over 6'2 at the majors, I think FAA 6'3", 6'4". Maybe you'd put him in the 6'5 category. We'll say 6'3"-ish for now. Medvedev, for what it's worth, at the majors at hard courts, 13-2 and two against opponents over 6'2". In his career in these scenarios. That said, who were the last two players to beat Daniil Medvedev uh, at a couple of hard court majors? Well, obviously Djokovic beat him in the U.S. Open final last year. Who beat him before that? Well, last year's Australian Open in the third round, he lost to a big hitter by the name of Sebastian Corda. Oh, who did he lose to at the U.S. Open prior to that? Another big hitter by the name of Nick Kyrgios, who was going to go down swinging, play on his terms, take advantage of the lanes of space, the defensive positioning on the return of serve Daniil Medvedev uh, creates for you. Oh, again, two offensive-based players. In theory, Felix has that sort of game style in him, and for what it's worth, Felix playing in his ninth career third round at the majors, 7-1 and one in his career in third rounds. Here's the thing. 10-25 and 25 in his career against top 10 opponents on hard courts. His last victory coming in Basel at the end of last season over Holger Runa. Before that, the 2022 Tour Finals over, albeit a banged-up Rafael Nadal. The last time he earned a top 10 victory at the majors was at the junior level because he's never done it at the professional level. 0-3 at the majors against top 10 opponents on hard courts. All three of those matches, by the way, were matches against a man by the name of Daniil Medvedev. So he's still looking for that sort of signature victory at a hard court major in his career. Felix 23-19 against opponents over six foot four when he's played ATP tour matches on hard courts against those sorts of opponents. He's won his last four of those occasions, but You know, again, no one's quite like Daniil Medvedev because not only does he mix in the 130-mile-per-hour serve of a 6'6 player, he brings in the speed of a much shorter, much more, you know, again, a much much quicker player than someone of that stature. And again, how well he anticipates, how well he lulls you into attacking exactly what he wants you to attack, how he lulls you to sleep with the backhand, and then that heaviness of the forehand just kind of jams you. Obviously, how low and flat he can play that backhand to keep Felix offset, how well he'll absorb the pace on his backhand wing when Felix tries to set up the inside-out, inside-out, inside-in combination he thrives with so well. There's a reason Medvedev 6-0 in this career head-to-head. He has both the size, strength, and weapons you need to make Felix uncomfortable, as well as the speed, obviously, to tolerate uh, Felix's plus-one game. Felix, a couple of four-set victories to get to round number three of this major. Excuse me, five sets over team, four sets over Grenier in round number two. 
It was a big moment for Felix, certainly, to steady the ship, to not play elite tennis and yet get a couple of wins, find himself back in a round of 32, get himself a shot at another top 10 player. Again, the biggest question is where is Medvedev mentally? How recovered is he from that five-set post-3.30 a.m. thriller he just played on day number five? His level, even in that two-sets-to-love deficit, I think his level should be enough to beat Felix. That said, Felix can employ a very similar game plan to the one we just saw employed by Emil Rusevori. I think Rusevori's down the line ball. It stays a little flatter, and I think I think Felix gets outside the ball a little bit more, and thus that ball he doesn't like he doesn't line drive it exactly the same way Rusevori does, or doesn't have the flexibility to do it in the way Rusevori did on the run to kind of beat. Medvedev to the spot, but again, Felix will have time to tee up on that forehand, and if he is swinging freely and playing freely, as we seem to have seen so many players do against the top seeds thus far, Medvedev's going to have another battle on his hands, and again, the longer that match goes, you just wonder how much will he have left in the tank, both mentally and then at that point, physically as well. You look at the tennis abstract singles forecast, Medvedev an 83.1% favorite. I'm going to say he gets through in straight sets. I think he steadies the ship, gets off the court, resets, refreshes, headed into week number two again. Medvedev at one point was my pick to win this event. I ultimately shifted at the last moment to Djokovic, but I still had Medvedev reaching the final, emerging out of this bottom half. We have not seen him play the tennis he'll need to do so yet, most likely to emerge, particularly with a potential matchup against a very much informed Grigor Dimitrov looming in round number four. I think this is where we see the wake-up call. I think this is where we see Medvedev steady the ship. I think this is where he gets a straight set victory. I just haven't seen enough from Felix, who slowly started calibrating the weapons, getting back to form, but he's not at his best. And obviously, even when he was playing better, 0-6 in his career against Daniil Medvedev. So give me Medvedev to advance to the second week of a major once again in what I think will be a very entertaining match. And then last but not least in the must-watch category, our final all-seeded battle of the day. <laughs> I didn't even realize I did that. My three must-watches are three all-seeded battles of the day. Sometimes the draw ain't going to lie to you. And in this case, 11th-seeded Casper Ruud taking on 19th-seeded Cam Nori. Ruud, a 61.2% favorite. According to Tennis Abstract, you can understand why. He's 3-0 in this career head-to-head, has won six of the seven sets that these two have played, all three of their matches being played on hard courts that they haven't played since the 2022 Miami Masters. I think, I think both stock has probably fallen since that moment. Nori's obviously slightly more than Kasparud. I think Kasper's looked really good to start this season. I know he got pushed to five sets in round number two against Max Purcell. Max Purcell hit about 90 winners in that match, and that is not hyperbole. That's a loose memory of looking at that stat sheet for yesterday's mini break, and to see him just play, again, jailbreak tennis. I don't know how to say it. Just full swing, full freedom, press forward whenever possible, make Kasparud hit 60 passing shots throughout the course of that match. And if he landed 40 of them, great, too good, you win. And ultimately, that's what Kasparud was able to do. But he played the match on his terms and went down swinging. And 
I don't, one, know if Cam Norrie has that gear to him. Two, I thought Casper handled that about as well as could be handled. Again, was broken once throughout the course of that match. Fought off 12 of 13 break points that he faced. He's won three, uh, excuse me, five straight matches to start the season. Again, he is 3-0 against Norrie in the career head-to-head. He's playing in his ninth career third-round match. He's won four of his last five, despite being 4-4 four and four overall. The thing for Casper Ruud and the argument where you start for Cam Norrie Kasparud 11 and 10 in his career in tour level matches on hard courts against lefties. Now he's won four of his last five and it is still though worth noting that only one of those losses was to Rafael Nadal on hard courts. He's got losses to guys like Nishioka, Umber, Guido Pea a little bit early in his career, but Dom Streaker as recently as indoor on hard courts last year in Basel. The reason obviously lefties would have an inherent advantage against the Kasparut is they are just much more successful and have easier ways of finding his backhand and in particular getting that backhand stretched outside the center third of the court, getting him yanked maybe even alley-wide, which yes, I you know, again, part of the reason I think Root is playing so well to start the season, it's, I think he looks better. I think he has gotten quicker and he's flattened that ball out, beating you to the spot down the line like he would in 2022. Again, I think he's hitting through his backhand extraordinarily confidently, not relying on the slice as much. Obviously, the serve forehand in prime condition right now. But lefties do have that ability to prevent him, at least, from finding forehands. And look, for Cam Norrie, he actually has the experience advantage in round of 32s. This is the 11th third round at a major in his career. Now he's just 2-8 and eight in those round of 32 appearances. Hasn't made the fourth round of a major since the 2022 U.S. Open, but made the third round at three of four majors last season. Back in the third round to kick off this year with this result. Norrie steadying the ship uh, in terms of his ranking. He's currently sitting at 22 in the live rankings, neither up nor down uh, after the, uh, thus far through this week. You know, again, he was able to overcome a two sets to love deficit in his second round match, ultimately able to advance here to round number three. Nori, for what it's worth, 7-21 and 21 in his career in hardcourt matches against top 10 opponents. And I do think that's the sort of level Kasparud is playing at right now. Now, if you want to go by the formal ranking, Nori 19-33 and 33, uh, in his career on hardcourts against top 20 opponents. The level I've seen from Kasparud has just straight up been better than the level I've seen from Cam Nori thus far. And while I think Nori's ability to survive in advance has been particularly admirable, given he had some knee pain in round number two as well, I just think, again, you have to like, that was a flash in the pan. What Max Purcell did, I don't know how that would be replicable for Cam Nori in this particular match. And I just don't see a world where right now Cam Nori grinds down Casper Ruder, is able to stretch him enough uncomfortably on that backhand wing to draw the sort of errors you need to see Casper Ruder's game break down. And I just think Casper walks in as fit as Nori. And I think his serve, his forehand are the two biggest weapons on the court. So give me Casper Ruder to advance again. He is a 61.2% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Yeah, I'll take straight sets. I think he's going to get through pretty comfortably as he advances to another fourth round. It would be his fifth second week at the majors in his career. Other five matches on the draw, again, could have all been in the must-watch category. We call this category for the nerds, though. How about Tommy Paul versus Miamir Kesmenovic? Do you like physicality? Do you like foot speed? Do you like... 
a little bit of desperation. Again, Miamir Kesmanovic looking to get back to the second week of this Australian Open. He did it in 2022. He's back inside the top 50 of the live rankings just by virtue of making the third round, which he did, of course, with a five-set victory over Jan Leonard Struff. Tommy on the other side played his best tennis of his career in a four-set win over Jack Draper. I know he lost to Draper last week in Adelaide. I think Tommy started 2024, at least from an eye test perspective, playing as well, if not better, than he did at his best moments throughout the course of the 2023 season. Just looks like a man on a mission who wants to prove this is the echelon of the game. He belongs in prove last year's semifinal run was not a fluke, and that even with a tougher draw, even with an Alcaraz perhaps as a round four opponent, looming, even with maybe a Zverev or a Root after that, that Tommy can replicate that success we saw from him here in 2023. There's just, again, there's a little fire under his belly, but I think I could say the same thing about the 24-year-old Kesmenovic, who, does he do anything elite? No. I think Tommy's a little bit springier, uh, certainly a little bit more fluid as an athlete, and yet Mimir Kesmenovic doesn't have a definitive weakness to attack. You got to bring your best tennis. Yeah, maybe the forehand grip when pressured by elite pace, but that's not always Tommy's thing. I think this match gets physical. I think Kesmenovic runs out of gas, and so I think they split the first two sets. Then Tommy takes sets three and four, ultimately advances in four. Tommy, a 70.6% favorite, according to the tennis abstract singles forecast, but that's the sort of physical battle, the sort of fun, laborious tennis you expect as two players battle for a spot in the second week of this major. Another match that should be in the must-watch match is two of the most talented young players we have on the ATP Tour, Carlos Alcaraz, the number two seed, taking on 18-year-old Jerry Shung. Shung, of course, the lefty. Just a brilliant ball striker. That lefty inside-out forehand comes out so hot and heavy. He can drive through the backhand wing on a whim. Like, his ability to go from 0 to 100 with his ground stroke intensity and speed is so impressive. I like his 75% neutral ball as well. He has clearly taken a jump as a mover, and with his rally tolerance, with his physicality, he has some weapons to make Alcaraz a bit uncomfortable, particularly as a lefty. But as much as Jerry has improved as a mover, he ain't on the Alcaraz level quite yet. I know Alcaraz got pushed by Lorenzo Sinego, but Sinego's strong. Sinego's quick. Sinego has sort of the size and strength you need to deal with the heaviness of the Alcaraz ball. I don't think Jerry is quite there yet. When he's going to be on his front foot, he will have some weapons to push Alcaraz back, to allow Alcaraz the opportunity to dazzle us all with his athleticism. And that's why he's usually in the must-watch category, because he's Carlos freaking Alcaraz, and usually he's must-watch. Um... Again, I think Alcaraz gets through in straights, but if you don't know the 18-year-old Jerry Shang's name before this match, you certainly will be looking to learn more about him after. And trust me, we're going to talk about him plenty this year. It's when, not if, he makes his top 100 debut. Last three we'll go through quickly. I'm fascinated to see the weapons of Alex Mickelson take on six-seeded Alex Zverev. Obviously, Zverev, when matches get tight, he gets passive. And when you get passive, Alex Mickelson makes you pay. The serve, the easy contact points... If Zverev gets passive, Alex Mickelson will make him pay. But Alex Mickelson is not at the level that Alex Zverev has as an athlete right now. Strength, speed, consistency, all advantages point to Zverev. The heaviness of his backhand. It'll be interesting to see them go backhand to backhand. And actually, forehand to forehand, again, Sasha will leave that ball hanging high. And that's where Mickelson can bunt down on it so well. Again, he pressures you so well moving forward. 
How much juice does he have the, left in the tank after a couple of four-set victories? An open question about the 19-year-old, and I think that's ultimately where he falls short. I also think Zverev coming off of the five-set win. I think he has some confidence. I think he steadies the ship much like Medvedev does. I think Zverev wins in three, but again, if any sort of passivity, passivity leaks in, Mickelson has the weapons to make him pay, get to the 19-year-old Wells. He's going to be a part of our lives for the next decade as he continues to improve. Last two, I think, are going to be fairly lopsided. All all respect to my guy, Nuno Borges, former Mississippi State All-American, friend of the program, multi-time appearer on the Cracked Interviews podcast. First third round at a major for him in his career. As such, he breaks the top 60, new career high in the live rankings. Grigor Dimitrov's a 91.6% favorite, and as good as the Borges serve forehand can be, as good as the fact that every time Grigor Dimitrov chips a forehand, uh, backhand, he thinks he's lulling Borges into doing what he wants. He's actually giving Borges precisely what he needs, which is time. Can't give Nuno Borges time because he strikes the ball brilliantly. It's when you get him stretched into the outer thirds that things start to fall apart, and I just think that's what Grigor's going to do too well. Serve out wide, first forehand to the open court. Nuno's going to miss a lot of fourth shots in rallies. Serve, return, plus one. I, I worry about that Nuno passing shot again with how precise Dimitrov is with his plus one approaches. I think Dimitrov gets through in straight sets, but again, an excellent tournament for Borges, who ha- that his kick serve wide is going to give Dimitrov some troubles, and he's going to hit some, have some plus one success. I think there could be a 7-6 set in this. Certainly, I think even Borges might sneak out a set, but I think the safe play here, Dimitrov in straight sets. And then Greek Spore versus Kazo. All due respect to the 21-year-old Frenchman, Arthur Kazo, who won a challenger to start his season now in the third round of a major for the first time. Greek Spore's been tested. Five sets, two sets to love down. He overcame Roman Safulin in round one. Then he got Arthur Fee, the talented 19-year-old Frenchman in round two. This is his easiest match to date. I think he capitalizes on that fact, capitalizes on the opportunity to get to round two. Give me Greek Spore in straight sets because Zoe is solid at everything, just doesn't have a weapon, nothing to overwhelm Greek Spore with consistently. Yeah, his serve was really good against Holger Runa. He's going to have to replicate that against Greek Spore once again. I just... I'm going to bet on Greek Sport to advance in this match, advance to round number four. And again, that would set up a really fun set of round of 16 matches in the bottom half of the draw. Greek Sport, by the way, 72% favorite. What a crowning moment this would be. A lot of 250 success. This would, I think, signify as a breakthrough, even though he's yet to face a seed if he were to get to week two of this Australian Open. Those are all eight men's matches. And again, That was longer than I intended to spend on each of them, but that speaks to the sort of day it is. I'm not going to do the same thing on the women's side. I'm just telling you now, I think it's on the lighter side in terms of the day seven schedule. They did all their entertaining on day five. Now we don't have third-seeded Elena Rabakina. Now we don't have fifth-seeded Jessica Pagula. We still have some outstanding matches, but only one seed versus seed in the round of 16 in the top half of the women's draw, and I think certainly that seed versus seed matchup has to be are most fascinating, given how competitive, given how spicy their quarterfinal bout was in Brisbane to start the season. Of course, I'm referring to the battle between 11th-seeded Yelena Ostapenko, 18th-seeded Victoria Azarenka, two just pure ball strikers from the baseline. Azarenka 3-0 in the career head-to-head. That said, two of their matches have been decided 7-5 in the third with exact score lines. They traded 6-3 sets, then a 7-5 third goes to Vika. Vika also a straight set win at the 2019 Roland Garros. I mean, look, 
Ostapenko's playing the best tennis of her career. I know 2017, the numbers were still a hair better, but she enters this match on a seven-match win streak. She's 6-3 and three against top 20 opponents since this, uh, since June 19th of last year. She's 27-11 and 11 overall since June 19th of last year. She's competing in what is her 15th round of 32 at the majors. And again, you look for Azarenka. She's competing in her 26th third round at the majors. It's just pure power tennis, plain and simple. I don't know how else to describe it. Two players who, again, are playing their... Uh, Azarenka is not playing her best tennis because she doesn't move quite as well as she once did, but she's moving extraordinarily well uh, for someone at this stage of her career, 33 years young, quarterfinalist at this event yet last year. She's healthy. She's fit. She's serving well. She's striking the ball cleanly. 17-8 and eight in her 25 career. Third round ba- uh, ma- uh, major battles to date on hard courts, by the way, alone. 25 third rounds at just hard court events. Ostapenko's uh, number of 15 third round events at the majors. Uh, third rounds at the major events, excuse me. That's across surfaces. So that just speaks to the totality of success Vika has had in her career. I mean, again, these two played 7-5 in the third. It was an either-or match when they faced off in in. Brisbane, I would uh, I would take Ostapenko to win just because I think it's really hard to beat her four consecutive times. I think eventually the odds are going to tilt in her favor. They've played two uh, two consecutive seven five in the third set decided matches. Ostapenko moving as well as she has ever moved in her career right now, playing as confidently as she has ever played given the win streak that she is on. And obviously this is a player who feeds off of confidence, serving as well as she has ever served, not just from a hold percentage, but from a straight-up first-serve percentage standpoint. You look at what Yelena Ostapenko has done uh, here this season. Ostapenko so far to start the year uh, landing 58.9% of her uh, first serves, that would be the second best number of her career, and thus why she's at a 78.3% hold percentage through 10 matches this season. She was one of my top six, con- she was my number six contender entering this event. Victoria Azarenka was my number seven, despite the fact that Azarenka beat her in Brisbane. <sighs> This match is going to be really good. They've both played a three-set match in the build-up to this at this Melbourne event. According to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, despite the 0-3 head-to-head record, Ostapenko 61.8% favorite. I'm going to lean with Jeff Sackman on this one. I'm going to take Ostapenko in a tightly contested three-set match. I trust Vika serve more, but Ostapenko is serving well enough right now, and I just think the Ostapenko return of serve again. When she gets a look at that ball, you're just in trouble it's the confidence she brings into this as well. I think the fact that she she will know that she is 0-3 in her career head-to-head against Vika. Vika is going to be ready for it. This match is going to be gritty. It's going to be fiery. It's going to be competitive. It's going to be delightful. I'll take Ostapenko in a tight three sets. Just Again, I think she's serving just well enough to get over the finish line here, playing the best tennis of her career. That's going to be a fun one. Next up uh, on my list of the must-watch matches, and I've got three on the women's side, I would turn to top seed Iga Svantec, who's going to get another test, her third consecutive. It was Sonia Kennan round one, Danielle Collins round two. Now she faces the rising 
talent on the WTA Tour in 19-year-old Linda Noskova. Obviously, Noskova, semifinals of Adelaide to start her season. Noskova, three-set winner uh, over McCartney Kessler in round number two to reach round three. Obviously, much like the Medvedev question, a little bit of this is health and Post-day five recovery-centric questions for Iga Shviantek, who not over only had to overcome a 4-1 double-break deficit, the mental hurdle that requires and how draining that must be. But, you know, physically, her knee was a little banged up. She got it wrapped at the end of her second-round match, and obviously she'll need to be at her fittest. She'll need to be at her quickest, and her speed didn't seem to be compromised down the home stretch of Collins. That ability to extend rallies even when she wasn't hitting the ball cleanly is ultimately what helped get her out of over the finish line, coax the errors out of Collins. But man, Linda Noskova's got real weapons. If you, there's anything to know about the 19-year-old, it's that she is comfortable swinging freely, that she has a real first serve that can make you uncomfortable, that her on-the-rise backhand return is special, and that she holds the baseline really well on those returns of serve. Now, for what it's worth, second career head-to-head matchup, Shviantek 1-0. She beat her 1-4 in the Warsaw quarterfinals on hard courts last year. Iga competing in her 17th career third round at a major. She's 14-2 and two overall in the round. She's 21-4 and four against players on hard courts over 5'10", or excuse me, across surfaces over 5'10", and that's not in her career. She's 21-4 and four over the last 52 weeks against players over 5'10", indicative of the power tennis she is capable of playing. She's also, uh, during that stretch of time, won 14 consecutive matches against opponents over 5'10". She, of course, has also won 18 consecutive matches overall as she enters round number three on the other side for Noskova. Just 12 career matches against top 20 opponents on hard courts. She's 4-8 and eight in those affairs. Wins over uh, Kvitova, Samsonova, Jabur, and Kasatkina. Look, the best version of Iga is obviously a different monster than any of those prior top 20 opponents that she would have faced. And much like I did for Zverev, much like I did for Medvedev, I'm just going to bet on this being a bounce back for Sviantek. This is where the bubble bursts for Noskova, where Sviantek just gets her stretched in the outer thirds in ways that expose near the fact that the 19-year-old still does need to work on her movement if she wants to be a consistent present at the tippy top. Let me be clear tippy top because the weapon she has she is already and by live ranking alone she's already a top 40 player in the world Noskova sitting at 38 in the live rankings at 19 year olds so the power tennis she can play already has her in that conversation it also could have her in the top 10 conversation if she continues to get more fluid as an athlete get a little bit stronger behind the second serve as well and again any sort of vulnerability Iga just pounces so I'll take Sviantek to move on. Sviantek an 88.8% favorite to advance to the round of 16, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Last but not least in my must-watch category, and I had two matches competing for this spot. I went Emma Navarro versus Diana Yastremska. Now, it's the first career head-to-head between these two. You look for Navarro in her career, 17-9 and against top 100 competition on hard courts. Obviously, has had a lot of success of late, including seven consecutive victories against top 100 opponents on her way to her seven match win streak and her nine and one record excuse me 10 and one record entering this third round battle here in 2024 
What's left to say about Navarro? She's 65 and 24 over her last 52 weeks. She's currently sitting at a new career high, 23 in the live ranking. She's competing in the third round of a major for the first time in her career. And she has about as an ideal of an opponent as you could face on paper in the world number 93. Now, the problem for her is the world number 93 is a more experienced player than her in this stage of majors in Diana Yastrzemska. Yastrzemska's played nine different top 50 opponents in her career in just hardcourt matches alone at the majors. That's not including the French Open, not including Wimbledon, no. Between just the Australian Open and the U.S. Open, the 23-year-old's already played nine top 50 matches. She's three and six in those matches, but two of those victories came this event. Straight set wins over Vondrosova, Gracheva. She's dropped just eight total games in four sets thus far. And must I remind you, the 23-year-old is an elite athlete. She is springy. She is strong. She's erratic. Her game is volatile. But that ceiling can be extraordinarily high. And we've all been reminded of that ceiling as Yastrzemska has cruised to round number three with this result. Yastrzemska back up to number 72 in the live rankings. One more win sees her jump all the way back up to number 61. That would be a 32-spot rise through the course of this major Look, it's a second week of a slam on the line, a massive opportunity for both of these still young players. Yes, it feels like Yastrzemska has been a part of our lives for a half decade. Navarro obviously choosing the college tennis pathway prior to the start to her pro career. Yastrzemska's got the firepower advantage. Emma, the far more stable of the two. And Emma's coming in so confident, a lot of tennis under her belt this month, but that just seems to be the way she rolls. That said, again, Yastrzemska right now is cooking. And when the 23-year-old is striking the ball brilliantly, anything can happen. According to Tennis Abstract, Emma's a 75.7% favorite. I've learned better than to bet against Emma Navarro during her career. I got to cover her pathway to the NCAA Singles Championship as a freshman in 2021. I'm going to take Navarro to get to the first, second week of a major. It feels like that would just be the perfect feather in the cap to sign off what has been the best month of her season this first month of 2024. I'll take Navarro, but I am taking three sets because Yastrzemska is going to get hot for 20 minutes. And again, her pace is the single biggest weapon either player possesses as we enter this one. For the nerds category, the other five, just again, I want to give you picks, a little bit of a thought. Uh, Sloan Stevens, actually the underdog. That's how good Anna Kalinskaya has been over the last three months. Kalinskaya, 60.1% favorite. It's been five years since Sloan Stevens was back in the third round. Uh, massive opportunity for both players because the winner plays the blink of a Paulini winner and, again, will feel plenty confident going into that even despite the recent success of Paulini across the board. <sighs> Head says Kalinskaya, gut says Stevens. Let's go with the gut. I'm going to take Sloan Stevens to follow the win over number 14, Dari Kasakina with a win here, a three-set win over Anna Kalinskaya. Victoria Golubic has had a heck of a run uh, with her run, by the way, to this third round. Golubic now back up uh, to currently number 70 in the live rankings of 15 spots as the 31-year-old. 
I think her run ends tomorrow. I think she's going to get knocked out as she takes on Alina Svitolina, who has looked excellent. Svitolina only a 63.6% favor. That number's too good, uh, too low. She's looked like a top 15, dare I say even top 10, top 8 player to start this year. I think she cruises to round number 4. Again, Kalinskaya, 60.1% favorite. Wow. That number stands out to me. Paulini, 70.4% favorite. I do think she'll end the run of Anna Blinkova, despite Blinkova coming off of that mesmerizing victory over last year's finalist, Elena Rabakina, give me the power tennis of the Italian. Much like Talon Griekspor, a lot of her success at the 250 level. Here's a signature slam run to show the rest of the world. No, I do belong in the top 35. I'll take Paolini to advance in straights. I'll take Chin Wen in straights. She's an 87.9% favorite over Wang Yafan. I just think Chin Wen, everything is breaking perfectly for her to start the season. And then give me 22-year-old Clara Burel to win the battle of the French women. 72% favorite is the 22-year-old against Ocean Dodan. I'll take her to follow up her upset victory over Pagula as well. Not have that post-upset hangover. That's all 16 matches, folks, that we have on the Day 7 calendar at the 2024 Australian Open. Now, if you miss out on any of them, here's the good news. You'll be able to catch up on all of the action by tuning in to our mini break podcast feeds. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast or on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out, as well, to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, Tennis Dashpoint.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, except for this is a different podcast. So we also say, hey, great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.